Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I am here with my co-host... Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, we have a very, very special guest in the studio. The most special. The most special of all. Specialist. <laughs> and a specialist at that. At that. We have Dr. Bill Birch, senior pastor at Northside Church here with the us today. The Reverend Doctor. I should say. The thank good, you both. It is good, good to be with doctor. you again. <laughs> Bill, thank you so much for taking some time out and joining us this morning. We appreciate you uh, being here. We're excited about our conversation today. Uh, today we are going to talk about first words. Uh, and particularly the first words of Jesus. But I thought a good way to kind of get into that conversation is to talk about uh, maybe our first words or experience that we have of first words. Uh, maybe the first words you remember somebody saying to you or anything like that. Just yeah. a, any kind of personal reflection on uh, first words. I texted my mom earlier this morning to ask her what my first words were, and I have not heard back from her. So oh. I don't know what my first word. If I remember, uh, I'm pretty sure it was uh, oh. Soren Kierkegaard. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was Kierkegaard. <laughs> uh, actually, I just got a text from her right now as we're on the air here. She said that my first word was dada. So that's kind of anticlimactic, but dada bit. and mama. <laughs> there you go. I remember that I couldn't say my brother's, my little uh, little brother when he came along, I could not say his name, Justin, and so I called him Bubba, and everyone in the family started calling him Bubba. So that's kind of my first word uh, experience. Bill, do you remember what your first words were? I do not. My strong guess would be Mama. Yeah, yeah. I just sent a text to Charlene, so we'll see what <laughs> she says. I do not remember my first words, but I remember my nephew's first words. It was Blueberry. Really? And he, yeah, and he said he said it booberry. It was the cutest stinking thing in the whole world. And as I'm thinking about this, right, this seems kind of random, right? Blueberry, but that's very indicative of their lifestyle. Like my brother and um, Ezekiel's mom, they were they're just very like not necessarily health nuts, but they were very big on feeding the kids good healthy okay. food and you know living that whole kind of organic lifestyle. And so I think that's a good representation of that. Ezekiel's first word was blueberry. There you go. Uh, you sure it wasn't booberry like the cereal booberry because that they didn't eat that stuff. Oh man, that's some <laughs> good stuff. This is this is the time of year for it too. <laughs> I could see his little smile, a little toothless smile, and he would say it. <laughs> the cutest darn thing. A little blue stained teeth. Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> I did a little uh, internet search, a little internet research uh, as as we were talking about doing this, and according to um, uh, American Book Review. Uh, the most common, uh, frequent, the most, I say, the top 10 most frequent first words by people who speak American English are in order mommy, daddy, <laughs> ball, I. Oh. Hi. Oh, I as an like eyeball I or an myself? Eyeball. I as an eyeball. Interesting. Uh, hi. No. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my favorite word. <laughs> uh, no. Dog, baby, wolf, wolf, and banana. There you okay. go. I feel like Kiefer's first word was like mine. Mine. Yeah. Mine. Right. <laughs> I just, that's all I remember anyway. Uh-huh. Those little seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine. Uh-huh. Mine. 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 Do you remember your kids' first words, Bill? I think they were also mama. Yeah. yeah. And followed at some point by dad, dad, but. <laughs> later. Mom, that later. was later. It's <laughs> later. It's like mama always comes first. Uh, that's funny. 
Um, all right, so and I also have a game I want to play with you guys. So I don't know how well you guys are read up on uh, literature, but I have another list here from American Book Review of the top ten, according to the editors of of um, of uh, American Book Review. Now, have, is this a contest, or are we taking turns? Well, we, can, or? we can do a contest. <laughs> do you, you know the want. answers? I, I do. I have them right here in front oh. of me. So, You're going to uh, win this, I, I just, So I have, a, I have a list here of the top 100, right? Um, and I'm just, I have picked a handful here that I think are pretty popular and some of my favorites. Uh, and some of them are really obvious, I think. Some of them maybe not so much. But I just have a few here that I want to read. Uh, and you guys can play along if you're listening at home. Uh, and I want to see if Elizabeth and Bill can uh, figure out what, what, tell me what the title of the book is. That's all I'm asking for here. Okay. So the I'm going to go ahead and need you to plan to edit out the silence that's going to come oh, after absolutely. these questions. I'll make, I'll make it, I'll <laughs> make, make it you sound guys look good. I'll make quick. you sound good. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> so the very first one, the number one uh, opening line of any book uh, in American literature. Moby Dick. <laughs> it's call me Israel. Look at that. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> wow, he's good. <laughs> I was going to go for the Charles Dickens, though. <laughs> wow, that's really good. Wow. Okay, well. Well done. Bit, you are down. <laughs> Just let it go at this point. Let that's, it go. That is fantastic. Yes. Yeah, and call, I call enjoy Israel. being with you. I, <laughs> I will be leaving now. <laughs> that is fantastic. All right. Uh, here's another one. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. I would go with Pride and Prejudice. There you go. Uh, man, two to zero. Here we go. Yeah, this pride is, I knew how prejudice. I knew how this would play out. <laughs> All right, here's another one. This is one of my favorite opening lines of any book. This is uh, number six on the list. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Oh. It's, I mean, that wouldn't be like, um, what is that book that you love? Um, <laughs> um, I'll give you a hint. This yeah. is the English translation of the first line. Is it Dachowski? Uh, uh, like, how do you say, say that? It's Tolstoy. Tolstoy. Oh, um, Anna Karenina? Anna Karenina. There we there go. There it is. You got there. Yeah, if it's the, Russian uh, novels, I'll leave it to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I've all right. seen the movie. Here's, number, here's uh, number nine on the list. It was the best of times. It was the worst Chats of Charles times. Dickens. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It wasn't the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. A tale of two cities. Yeah, a tale of two yeah, cities. Charles, you yeah. got that together. Well, you Dickens. just said the author. You didn't oh, I'm say sorry. The title. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. That would be wrong. <laughs> All right, I got two more. I got two more. This one's. This one should be pretty obvious. You say that in the beginning. <laughs> uh, you don't know about me without you have read a book by the name "The Adventures of Tom Sawyer," but that ain't no matter. So what, Huck Finn, right? Yeah, Huckleberry. Yeah, yeah. The Adventures Huckleberry of Finn, Huckleberry sorry. Finn. All right, last one. Which a lot of libraries don't carry now. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Last one. Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these pages must show. But I don't know it. Wild guess, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. But oh, I don't think that's right. That it's that's on the list here. But no, this know. is a another D Dickens novel. Okay. Uh, David Copperfield. Okay. David Copperfield. That's the only one. That's the only one you guys didn't get. Uh, <laughs> well done, that, Bill. So that's well fun. done, Bill. That's fun. Uh, opening lines are you know opening lines first words. I, I think uh, the maybe the most classic opening line of any document ever, other than in the beginning. 
would be we the people of the mm -hmm. United States of America. Opening words or first words seem to be seem to take a very like big importance, kind of take a special place in our imagination. What, why do we think? Why do you guys think that first words are so important? Why do we why do we focus on first words? Well, I think in thinking about the first words that kids say, it's what they're focused on. You know, it's what we learn. It's what we appreciate. I just got a text back from my mom that my first word was mama. I was her number one fan, so you know this this makes sense. She's an important person. Um, yeah, it's a representation of maybe priorities. You yeah. know what we're focused on, um, and thinking about it in terms of the gospels, which I know we're not quite there yet in our conversation. It's I was thinking about that in the sense of what do these gospel writers think is the most important thing, right? Yeah. It's how they're shaping mm -hmm. this narrative. Like that's gotta have been something that they chose mindfully, right? What are what are the first words that this narrative of Jesus is gonna like? He's gonna speak in this yeah. narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. For and if you're speaking those words, it's first impressions. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How are you introducing yourself? How are you introducing the topic? Yeah. Those are all critical and important. Yeah. Absolutely. We talk a lot about elevator speeches. How many times did I hear that in school? Right. You know, you got to have your 30 second pitch. If you encounter someone in an elevator, what the first thing you're going to say to them? What's your pitch? You know, impressions. Yeah, that's really important. And, you, you know, the other thing to think about is um, I know this is true in the writing that I've done. Bill, this might be true with you, too. And, and uh, Elizabeth, as you're as you've been doing some writing these days. Um, I know that I probably spend the most time thinking about how I'm going to begin something, right? Mm -hmm. And then I always go back to that and edit it and refresh it and, and yeah. try to make it as clear or as concise or as entertaining, you know, depending upon what I'm trying to get from the audience or the, the reader. Um, but we know that, like, when a document opens up or when somebody says something for the first time, uh, particularly when it's in written form, yeah. it's a lot of thought and intention have been put into what's going to be said, right? Do you think... First words or last words are more important, or what is the what is the juxtaposition between those two? Oh, letters came to mind, like how we how we address letters and close letters. Mm. There's a um, in the the musical Hamilton, um, one of the characters has this whole line in one of her songs about how Hamilton addresses the letter to her. And it's something about where he puts the comma, my dearest Angelica, mm -hmm. and the, where the emphasis goes because of that. You know, is it more um, friendly or is it more romantic? Right. You know, my dearest yeah. Angelica. That movie, that movie, yeah, that musical focuses a lot on words as well. It Very does, important right? there. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, how Hamilton perceives things and how he introduces himself. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's all very important. So, I don't know, first words versus last words. Um because we uh, the reason why I ask is we tend to sp focus a lot on famous last words like that's a that's, yeah. a, that's a cliche right so uh, you know thinking about and and we've done Bill you've done a um, sermon series on the last words of Jesus Christ and as today we're going to take a look at his first words I'm I'm curious as to you know are they just as important do they hold just as much meaning or or is there something about the first thing you say and the last thing you say you know what. Where where's the value, or where, what holds more value? Maybe is the question I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I was thinking about like perspective. You know, we all, or you thought about, you know, asking your mom. I asked my mom, "What are my first words?" And she remembers that, right? Yeah, they're they're gonna remember that. You're you know your parents. You're gonna remember your kids' first words, but as the child, I'm gonna remember my mom's last words. Mm. You know, like I'm gonna remember the last thing that she oh, says to me. Yeah. You know, so maybe it's a matter of perspective. You know, Bill, you told a story recently about the last thing that someone said to you, yeah. you know, and how that how that you held on to that. 
And so that, yeah, that's poignant. Wow. And I was approaching it from a slightly different angle, thinking we don't know when we speak our last words a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as you said, if it's somebody you love and you're there in those last moments, that Mm -hmm. is meaningful to you. But I would hate my last words to be, you know, you're standing on my oxygen line. (laughs) 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 You you really want to go out with something significant. Right. And and not like, hey, what does this plug do? (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) Hey, y'all watch this. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh But I was also thinking, especially, and my, my guess is y'all do this as well in different ways, but when I'm writing sermons, a lot of times the first words influence and inform the last words. Yeah. I'm big bookends. on bookends, mm-hmm. yeah, on how mm-hmm. you begin and end, and that they inform each other. What I haven't looked at, and it just struck me, is comparing the Gospels, Jesus' first words and last words in each Gospel. Yeah, and yeah. And how do they, or yeah. do they mesh? Right. Well, I, I did a little bit of that. I kind of peaked and, and I was trying to figure out, do I want to mesh them with like the conversation is like, do you do you kind of take the first words of Jesus that he says in each gospel and put that in conversation with the last words he says as he's hanging on the cross? Or do you do the resurrected mm. Jesus? Right. What, what are oh, the first yeah. words Jesus says after he's resurrected? That becomes a whole bigger conversation. And, you know, Bill, this is going to be a sermon series, I think, that you're mm-hmm. going to do next year at some point. And we'll also do a Bible study on it. And so we'll get deeper into those kinds of questions. But as we as we transition now to the first words of Jesus, we want to start with the, the book of Mark, uh, which is, uh, most scholars believe, the first gospel written. Uh, it's the one that, you know, Matthew and Luke are kind of cheating off of when they're reading their, when they're writing their gospel. Um, and in Jesus, in in Mark chapter one, we get the first words of Jesus. In the context, is uh, coming right after, uh, right after G- uh, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And so I'll read the verse here. So Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. He's gone out into the wilderness. He has been uh, for forty days. He's been tempted by Satan. And then in chapter one, verse fourteen, we get this: After John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Hmm. This is the very, not not only are these the first words of Jesus in uh, the gospel of Mark, but these are quite possibly the first words of Jesus written down by somebody uh, and recorded that we have, right? That we have, that we have access to. what are, what are your what are, what are your first response? What's your initial reaction to these first words of Jesus? Oh, that's kind of a chilling thought. I, I love that. You know, I mean, just the significance of that. I mean, you know, there's some certainly some level of maybe these guys didn't exactly know the full weight of what they were doing, but surely they like they're writing it down for a right, reason. Like the yeah. moment has come, or I got to write this down. And um, yeah, the time is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I guess it depends on what version you're looking at. NIV is the time has come. Uh, a couple other ones say the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, but that's just, oh, I don't know. I mean, that kind of goes back to that whole Acts conversation that we're having about, you know, sometimes we tend to think of the kingdom of God as something that we'll get to later, right? It's this heaven, what happens at the end, but Jesus is saying like, it's here. This is, this is now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very dense statement and really Mark's thesis for the entire gospel. Yes. And y'all know Mark is the shortest right. gospel, and his one of his favorite words is always immediately. You know, yeah. he's moving from one thing to the yes, other. Right, yeah, yeah. Matthew and Luke really spin it out, and he's just, give me the facts, ma'am. Right. Give me the yeah. facts, sir. 
And so really, this I truly, yeah, this gives the whole outline of the book. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think about that. That's cool, the immediately thing compared with this phrase. Yeah, because that does. I mean, the whole book moves very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's action-packed. Yeah, you're in the first chapter, verse 14, Jesus has started his public ministry. Matthew right. and Luke, they're still in the genealogy. <laughs> right. you know? That's, a, <laughs> that's exactly right, yeah. yeah. Um, but you're right, uh, Bill. This is this is incredibly dense. You could spend, you know, you could spend a couple a couple months of Sundays unpacking just this passage right yeah, here. That's right? a sermon series in itself. It is. You're absolutely yeah. right. Um, wow. Yeah. And you, one of the things about I think this is true in Mark. I didn't put it down here on the sheets that we're looking at, but um, I, I think Jesus here is also he's quoting John's message too. Like John starts this message. This mm-hmm. is not even like original to Jesus in a sense. Uh, uh, he is the fulfillment. He is the he is the reason why it is true. But John the Baptist is declaring these words before Jesus is, um, and so that's that's another interesting thing. The, the other highlight here is that he doesn't he doesn't start this until John is put into prison. Uh, that is such an interesting little handoff situation that we have there between John and Jesus. I've never spent a lot of time thinking about that until recently, but just this this lovely like transition of power, which is something that. You know, I don't know. We humans have a hard time with, yeah. but John has prepared the way, and he's you know accepted that he's not the guy, but he knows the guy that's going to be here later. And you know, they just kind of I don't know respectfully move from one to the other, and Jesus comes in when John is well taken away. Yeah, but I don't know. I Some just, of John's got disciples migrate to Jesus. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Although later John does have some questions about, eh, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> sure, you're the Messiah. Cause... And, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's, you know, that, I can imagine them just gathering around like uh, Sabbath dinner, you know, I'm like, all right, Jesus, like, really? <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> what are you doing, man? Uh, what's interesting about Mark is that you don't get any... Um, you don't get any post-resurrection uh, words of Jesus because Jesus, if, if you take the original ending of Mark, you don't get any images of Jesus after the resurrection. He's just gone, and you kind of have to make a decision, right? It's up to you so to last, believe. The last thing that Jesus says in Mark is when he's hanging on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, which, man, that's, talk about bookends. That's I'm not a way sure. to end. <laughs> well, the original Passion plays, that's how they end. Yeah. Now, in the United States, we always had the resurrection, but... Yeah, yeah. Truly, a traditional passion play. That's it. That's it. Ends at the cross. Yeah, I remember um, my experience. This is neither here nor there, but uh, I went to see um, the Passion of the Christ in the theaters when it came out. I don't know if you, Mel Gibson, yeah, Mel Gibson's book, uh, movie. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys got to see that or not, but um, uh, somebody gave us some free tickets. So some churches giving out free tickets. We went to see it. It was a lot, uh, and there's a lot in there that's yeah. You know, I've got some questions about, but I was curious as to whether he would end it with the actual passion in the in the death, or he'd show the resurrection. And he does kind of cheat a little bit and mm-hmm. peek ahead. So Mark is the first uh, the first person to sit down and kind of write out a story of Jesus's life. Matthew uh, Matthew or Luke, one of the two, is next. Uh, they're writing about the same time period, and we get the words of Jesus here uh, just a little bit before the words in Mark. Uh, it happens actually during the baptism of Jesus, and so I'll read here. Um, I'll read here from Matthew chapter three. So already three chapters in before Jesus speaks. Uh, Bill, you alluded to that. Verse thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, "I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me?" And Jesus replied, 
Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. So this happens just a little bit before it happens in Mark. Uh, obviously, Matthew has given us a lot more details about Jesus' birth and whatnot. But here, at, in the context of Jesus being baptized, he comes to John. And once again, we have John involved in the first words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this is what he says. A lot of people ask me questions about what does this even mean? <laughs> all right? is it, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Um, talk, talk to me. What are, what are some of your first words about this? these first words? I mean, I can't imagine... You know, I, John, he, you know, he's, that would be, it would be very humbling, shocking, strange, you know, that I, I know that this guy is coming and I believe in, you know, who he is and I believe he's the one and now I am responsible for baptizing him. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a little, he's indignant or not, maybe not indignant, but just like, whoa, 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 no, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting dynamic there. And. But, you know, again, it's a similar sort of, you know, mission statement to me, you know, like this is, you know, Jesus is like, no, this is, um, you know, he's taking authority. I talked, we talked about that in my New Testament class, like this power versus authority dynamic that Jesus has, um, you know, power is something that um, the rulers and the kings of the earth kind of have, and it can be corrupted. Jesus comes in and he takes authority. It's not necessarily power the way we're used to it but it's authority, you know? And he says, okay, no, this is, this is what's going to happen. You're going to baptize me. I know it doesn't feel comfortable, but you're going to baptize me. And this is what we have to do to fulfill all righteousness. It's, it's proper. It's necessary. And the common assumption is Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he takes great pains to show how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies or the Hebrew prophecies in the Old Testament at that time. And I do think it shows him dotting the I's, crossing the T's and, Everything he is doing is in compliance with what God's will is for his life. We don't get into this at this point, but there's also this scene of Jesus actually receiving John's baptism, which is for a baptism for the repentance of sin. And Jesus is the sinless one, Mm. becomes a microcosm of the incarnation that Jesus becomes who we are. So we might become who Jesus is. Oh, that's interesting. That is cool. I I hadn't really thought about that. Um, Somewhere in my mind, I I had disconnected the repentance of sins and the baptism that that John is providing here. But um, you're absolutely right that they are. I mean, that's this is what John is doing. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. this is to mark this new life, this new repentance, and this new forgiveness of sins. Is that what he's talking about here when he says fulfill all righteousness? <laughs> That is an interesting dynamic, though. Another reason why John is probably like, no, this is not this doesn't make sense. This doesn't apply to you. Right. (laughs) You don't need this. Yeah. And yet the next verse, the heavens open up and God says, John, he this was right. He was supposed (laughs) to do this. This is my son. Whom I well pleased. Just to kind of peek ahead, uh, the last words of Jesus in Matthew are the Great Commission. Uh, mm. Which is the call to go and baptize all the people. So there's a there's a little uh, there's a oh, level. Oh, there we go. There's a nice connection. There's a nice yeah. parallel right there. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, this kind of fits in nicely with the Advent theme of the kenosis thing, right? You know, Jesus emptying, God emptying God's self in the person of Jesus, you know, to come and be with us. This, you know, I, I really I like this. You know, I've never thought about the whole baptism thing that way. That Jesus doesn't really need to be baptized in the way that John's talking about it, but He's saying, no, like, I, I am one of you. Like, I'm just like you. I'm going to empty myself of my divinity, you know, in a way, and my glory. And, yeah, 
start this project just the way I want you to start it. I was smiling over here because I was recalling my first days in seminary, and I think kenosis may be the first word they teach you. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a flashback to Catholic School of Theology in fall of 1979. Nice. It's like, what? Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I wonder if there's also a level of, we kind of think about baptism as an initiation, right, into both the kingdom Mm -hmm. of God and the church. And so Jesus here is, is also modeling that initiation for us. Uh, in a way that um, that recognizes the importance of that event. You know, we practice here in the Methodist Church, as well as many other traditions, practice infant baptism. And there's a there's a level of uh, an infant doesn't need to be baptized for the repentance of sins, and yet it's and yet well, <laughs> fight, 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 fight. <laughs> right, but but there's a level of it's still right and proper that we do that. It fulfills the right relationship that we call righteousness in the initiation into the into the life of the church. Um, so well, before y'all start a knockout drag down about uh, baptism, cause you know, you can feel that coming. Um, what is the history of baptism? So at this point, what is the, what is the connotation of that practice? Do we do this because Jesus did this in this moment or is there a precedent for baptism at this point when Jesus is getting John to do this for him? There is, uh, uh there was a precedent probably going back a hundred years before, um, before John the Baptist. So this was a, this was a common practice. Baptism was a common practice in that, in the Judaism of that time. And even before that, there was ritual cleansing and things like that that kind of uh, okay. set the precedent for it. But the, the actual practice of baptism as it's being practiced by John here is not new in the sense that like John, like this is something John's doing that's different. Okay. Um, it's one of the reasons why some of the Pharisees and Sadducees, other, other leaders in the Jewish, uh, Jewish authorities, get upset with John because they recognize what he's doing and they and there's like this is not you shouldn't be doing this sorry you're, you're what you're doing here is not you're not not someone like you like this is right because you're be covered done. in goat's right. hair and there's honey <laughs> dripping down your chin right, there's like locusts right. all around you yeah you're right. weird buddy <laughs> <laughs> well there's speculation he might have been part of that Essene mm-hmm. community right. where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and they That's definitely right. used water as cleansing mm-hmm. in terms of the church's history we typically define a sacrament as something that Jesus ordained, commanded mm-hmm. us to do. Mm-hmm. And in the Protestant tradition, it's available to all people. Yeah. And so United Methodist Church, we have the two sacraments, Holy Communion and Baptism. You move to the Holy Catholic tradition, and there yeah. are seven sacraments. It gets a little bit more complicated. Um, you know, it's something that Jesus ordained us to do or something that Jesus commanded us to do. Why don't we do feet washing? As yeah, a, that's as a always a question because it, it has a high uh, yuck yeah. factor. Aww. That's uh, the theological reason. But yeah, if you use that, those two standards, absolutely yeah. foot washing yeah. should be a sacrament. Yeah. Wow. Uh, hmm. All right. So then we can jump to Luke chapter two. Uh, and Luke chapter two is a very long chapter. So it's almost like a chapter three or almost a chapter four. It's so deep into Luke. But uh, here we get an interesting little turn because we don't get uh, we don't get adult Jesus saying the first words. We get 12 year old Jesus. Sassy teen, preteen Jesus. Preteen Jesus just became a man through through Uh the situation. Right. And his he's uh, he's in Jerusalem uh, with his parents and they're there uh, celebrating the the Passover, doing the Passover. And uh, as the family gets up to leave, they all leave and they leave Jesus behind. Uh, and it takes them three days to realize that Jesus isn't with them. It takes a village. <laughs> it takes a village. Sometimes it takes more than that. 
uh, a lot of people question are like, well, how could you possibly leave your kid behind for three days? But you have to think like this is a different time when it, it happened would... in Home Alone. I saw it <laughs> three times. Oh my gosh, that's three right. Times, yeah. that's oh my gosh, there's a connection there. That needs to be that needs to be preached about, Bill. <laughs> there you this go. This is this is the original Home Alone. <laughs> that's crazy. He's in his father's house. Hey, 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 hey boom! That's so perfect. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Stay tuned. So, so Jesus, so his parents come looking for him uh and i'll start with verse 48 so this is luke chapter 2 verse 48 when his parents saw him uh they were astonished and his mother said to him son why have you treated us like this your father and i have been anxiously searching for you in verse 49 why were you searching for me jesus asked didn't you know that i had to be in my father's house but they did not understand what he was saying to them so this is uh, 12-year-old Jesus uh, responding to his mom, uh, who has been like, where have you been? Oh, my gosh, we were freaking out. Uh, what do we think? What do we, what's, our, what's our first impressions here? I just got to wonder, you know, I, I hate that there's this gap, right, in scripture of this early childhood of Jesus. You know, what, what is going on? What's the conversation? At what point does Jesus know who he is and starts talking about it? Is this yeah. the first moment yeah. where he's like, obviously, I would be in my father's house? Because <laughs> when Mary's confused, I, I mean, I get it. It's been 12 years, but the angel did tell you, right? You know what you're dealing with here. So why are you confused? <laughs> right? Did we just That's not talk point. about it? What? Have you forgotten the whole virgin birth? Right. <laughs> Are you just caught up in the anxiety of the moment? Like what? What is the deal here? You know. Um, um, yeah, maybe that has something to do with what Jesus says here. I, I've never. I don't. I don't know if this is. I'd have to do a little bit more in-depth research. But like what she says here, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, and he's like, actually. I've been in my father's house, so my father wasn't looking for me. I've been here the ooh, whole time, yeah. kind of thing, you know. Sass. Joseph just keeps taking the hits. You know? <laughs> it's, guy. Joseph's like, oh, man. <laughs> I've raised you for 12 years. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's still calling. You know, Jesus calls him Joseph, too. He's like, yeah, hey, Joseph, right? can I go out and play? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Well, and you notice the Gospels never refer to him as they would in Judaism as Jesus or Joseph. Yeah, right? that's right. Because he is not the son oh. of Joseph. That's right. He's always Jesus of Nazareth. Um that's exactly oh, that's right. Funny. Yeah. Poor guy. Poor Joseph. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, then you know I had to be in my father's house. I, this has uh, always been a, a verse for me that points toward this, these words of Jesus. Points toward like if we're ever looking for Jesus, if we ever find ourselves in a situation where we're we're trying to find Jesus, like um, looking for him in his father's house, we're looking for him in the temple, which is now considered to be the people of God, the the, the church as the people of the church. Yeah. You know, we are the new temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. Like if you're ever looking for Jesus, you know, this is a good place to come look for him. Um, so that's kind of what it points toward, toward for me. Uh, if you find yourself searching for Jesus, come to church, right? Yeah. It's got some of that kind of sass that you hear or I hear when Jesus talks to his disciples at certain points. It's like, <laughs> come on guys. Like really? Have we not? <laughs> Do you still not get it? So he you know, was sassy I want to just make age. a point. It's twice now Elizabeth has referred to our Savior and Lord as sassy. Yes, sassy. I want to be clear yes. on who said uh, yeah, that. Okay. I love it. <laughs> it's those human emotions with Jesus. I think it's fantastic, right? <laughs> Hearing those things. I don't know. Maybe it's just, it makes me feel like I'm going to be okay. If, you know, Jesus was sassy sometimes, then maybe I can also be forgiven for being sassy and move forward and be all right. I don't yeah. know. It's all part of the kenosis. It's all part of the kenosis. There you That's go. Exactly there right. you go. Stay tuned for Advent. You're going to hear a lot more about that. Um, 
Uh, Elizabeth, get back to your your original question though, because I think it's an, it's an interesting one. Um, when did Jesus know? Like, when did he come to be aware? Was he always aware? Was he aware in the womb? Was he, you know, I yeah. do think a lot of Christians have those kinds of questions. My response to those questions have always been like, if it was important for us to know, it would be here. Yeah, Just it's not, true. it must not be. Well, I mean, maybe this whole conversation does answer that question. You know, maybe in the gospel writer's perspective, these, these moments, right, the baptism moment, you know, in the first two, in this one, in this moment where Jesus chooses the temple and wants to be in the temple over going with his family, um, maybe those are the moments when Jesus comes into who he is and understands that and has that moment. Yeah. Maybe that's the what risk of overlaying us. 20th century sociology with first century Judaism. You know, Eric Erickson talked about stages of life and that the teenage years are the question, who am I? It's, yeah. a, it's a struggle with identity. Yeah. yeah. And if you do take seriously the human side of Jesus, humanity and divinity combined, there had to be some process, some recognition, mm-hmm. some growing realization. Yeah. Maybe even to the cross. I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to just to peek ahead a little bit, Luke in Luke, Jesus's last words are him opening the meaning of the scriptures to his, his disciples in Luke chapter twenty four, and letting them uh, telling them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Mm. So kind of cheat with Luke because Luke is only volume one of a two volume set, right? And you get into the Book of Acts and you see yeah. the ascension of Jesus, but. Um, but that go. goes with that whole Jerusalem and temple theme that mm-hmm. we find in Luke. And, you know, the yeah. I, I am the, the new temple. Right? It's all focused on the coming and going to and from Jerusalem. Yep. So that makes sense, right? We get his first words in the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And then the last words stay stay Are, here. And then Acts is all, you know, what does it mean to for the kingdom to have come for Jesus to be the new temple? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, all right. And then we go to the book of John, which was written... Uh, and it's final. The final kind of edition of John that we have here in our in our Bible is is put together well after the other three Gospels. It is by far the most uh, theological and in depth as far as Jesus' identity goes from all the Gospels. You can cheat and say that the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John is the fact that he is the Word of oh, God. Right there, you that, go. You could say that, but. We're going to stick to Jesus' first spoken, Jesus recorded words. spoken words, right? Uh-huh. Quotation marks, right? So in, in John, uh, we get it in John chapter 1, although it is not baby Jesus, and it's not a teenage Jesus, and it's not getting baptized Jesus. It is, it is Jesus uh, right after his encounter with John. In fact, we don't get a baptism story of Jesus and John in the book of John, uh, nor do we get a communion story for that matter. But we get this. This is in John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. And when Jesus, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? <laughs> so that, that might be my favorite. <laughs> right? See, once again, we have sassy Jesus. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Why are you following me? Right. <laughs> I actually like, I like the, so that's the NIV. Um, I like the NRSV better because he says, what are you looking for? Mm. And to me, that has more of a connotation of like, I don't know, we could read into that. And it's a kind of more um, metaphorical, you know, like, what are you, what are you looking for? Yeah. You know, because it's, it's something bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So these are, and this goes back to Bill, what you were saying. Uh, these are two of John's disciples that are going to become mm-hmm. Jesus' disciples. 
they're following Jesus because John's like, hey, look, it's the Lamb of God. And they're like, see ya. Yeah, okay, see John. We're going to go follow that guy, right? Uh, and then he turns around. The first thing Jesus asks is, what do you want or what are you looking for? Um, Bill, what do you think? You any kind of first reaction to, to these first words? I found Elizabeth's comment intriguing, especially with the different translation, what are you looking for? Yeah. It's almost the mirror image of the call of the disciples and the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of you come follow me, Yeah. and then you're going to find out. Whereas here, oh. the question is posed to them instead. Yeah. Oh, I like that. But discipleship becomes a journey for all of them. Yes. He doesn't lay it out and say, here's the job description. Here's the itinerary. This is where we're going. Mm-hmm. It's just that first step. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, it, in cool. that sense, Bill, I think it also echoes what Jesus is saying to all of us. What Jesus' first words maybe are to all of us is, well, what are you looking for? Like, yeah. What do you want? What do you want? What are you looking for? Well, and they clearly want something because, like you said, they're following him. That's a distinction. It's not they're fishing and he says, come, put down right. your nets. It's they they're see searching. this guy. They're searching yeah. for something. They want something. And so they start creepily following him through the woods. <laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> Sneaking up on him. <laughs> I want to see the version of the Bible that's going on in your head. It's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and to follow, even to follow, go further with that, the next thing that Jesus says in the story, you know, they, they say to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Uh, and he says, come and you will see. Well, there you go. And that goes there along yeah. really well, Bill, with what you were saying just a second ago. Follow me and you'll see. And then they got to spend the day together. Look at that. <laughs> and just hang out with Jesus. They spent the day with him. <laughs> That's sweet. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> It was about four in the afternoon. Right, it's just. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. They had tea. Uh, uh, Jesus's last words in John are uh, the reinstatement of Peter. So uh, mm. I don't know how that would bookend or juxtapose very well, but there's a there's a level of uh, if it had been Peter that he was talking to yeah. here at first, and it's not, but it's Peter's brother, I think. But um, anyway, what what is it? Can you give more detail on that? What his last words were? Yeah, it's it's when he talks to Peter, and he, uh, you know, he says, "Do you love me, Peter?" Female oh, okay. lambs and that whole situation, and then he, and then Peter's like, "Well, what about that guy?" And points to John, and he <laughs> says, "And he says, if I want that guy to live until the time I come back, you know, what is that to you?" That's the last thing he says. That's the, this last thing is recorded in in John. Fascinating. And then John has that catch-all phrase there at the end, where he's like, "Look, the, Jesus did many other things. If everything was oh, written down, yeah, then, yeah, like, yeah. I can't tell you everything, right?" Literally, the first thing, the last thing he says in John is in John twenty one twenty three. He says, "If I want him, speaking of John, uh, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you?" <laughs> so he's got kind of I don't in my head he's got this kind of like New Jersey, like New York, <laughs> like what do you want? Yo, what do you want? You know, and what is that to you? I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I don't know. Are you dying inside, Bill? Are you dying inside? <laughs> What a great... This podcast is not endorsed by Northside United Methodist Church, nor its senior pastor. So we've, we've walked through uh, Jesus's first words, and I think there's a lot there's a lot that can be pulled out of those first words, and particularly when you start to put them in conversation with some of the other words of Jesus, whether his last words or his resurrected words. Um, I thought it interesting, just to kind of peek real quick at, at Paul's first words. You know, you got oh, Jesus yeah. and you got Paul. Paul's real simple. Um, it happens in... <laughs> It happens in, uh, so the first time that we see Paul, he's still called Saul, 
Uh, and it happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and it's at the stoning of Stephen. And Stephen is being stoned. It just mentions that Saul is there, and he approved of the stoning of Stephen. What I find interesting about that is he doesn't speak. He's just silently, like, you know, He's condoning and nodding, yeah. and just kind of nodding along. Holding but, their coats. But the first time, yeah, right? Yeah. But the first time he actually speaks is in the next chapter, uh, Acts chapter 9, and it's after he's on the way to Damascus, and Jesus kind of knocks him off his horse, punches him in the face. Jesus shows up <laughs> and is like, yo, why are you doing this, man? Like, why are you persecuting me? And his first words are, who are you, Lord? Well, that's interesting. What's that about? Who are you, Lord? Yeah. He's calling him Lord at the same time asking who he is. What's yeah. what's going on there? Well, there could be a little bit of a translation uh, misnomer there in the sense that like, it could just mean that he's saying, who are you, sir? Oh, because okay. that was the that's the word Lord there can be played that way. Uh, but if you think that he's just confronted something supernatural, maybe he's he's actually saying, like, who are you, Lord? Like, Lord. Okay. Uh, Seems like a good moment to be polite at the very oh, least. At the very yes. least, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then we know how that story plays out. But um, the first time that we see Saul slash Paul speak, he's asking the question, mm-hmm. who are you? You almost, if you wanted to, if you wanted to take it the second way I was talking about, like, who are you, Jesus? Who are you, Christ? Who are you, God? Who are you, right? Yeah. I think that's a, it's an interesting question that you see Paul kind of answering the rest of his career, the rest of his life, yeah. in his letters and his missionary journeys and things like that. There's a number, another sermon series for you. Who are you, God? I, I, the last thing I want to ask us is is when we think about our our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ in the world around us, engaging with friends, family, strangers, uh, enemies, whoever, engaging with the world around us. Like, what should our first words be? I I, I will just throw out there that kind of give you an idea of what I'm thinking I think that our first words to anybody that we don't know whether we know them or not should be words of kindness and words of generosity so not not you know not any particular words I have in mind but that it's not what we say but how we say it maybe that that it should be characterized by by the fact that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit and that we are trying to follow Jesus on his path yeah Um, I'm thinking about the um what is the, I don't know if, what the exact phrase is. If you, if you love me or if you love others, that's how they will know that you are my disciples. So yeah. thinking about whatever those first words are, they should match our actions and our actions should be in love. Yeah. And I think that might be easy to do for strangers in the sense that like when you, when you encounter somebody at the gas station or wherever else, like being kind or being at least, uh, you know, not mean <laughs> is easy to do. But what might be hard is with people that you see on an everyday basis or people that you're used to seeing all the time. Like what would yeah. be a way to be, uh, you know, what should your first words be when you encounter somebody that you encounter all the time? Um, you know, you know, so maybe that maybe that's taking the question a little too far. But I think it's it's harder to be kind to people we know than it is to people we don't know sometimes. Right. It's harder yeah. to express that generosity of spirit and things like that well the first two general rules of methodism are do no harm do good mm. there I you think go that's, that's good. kind of a yeah pretty low bar <laughs> yeah treat others as you'd have them treat you yeah. it would be another guideline yeah yeah if i was thinking in the arena more of evangelism mm-hmm. uh, the the process I, I love and it was not formulated originally by me is invest invite involve Mm. Um, that relational evangelism means you invest yourself in someone else mm. and then wait for an organic moment where you can invite them in some way 
to be involved in the life of the church. Okay. But then there's that third step that you involve them, that you are right. their mentor, you are their patron, you are yeah. the one who makes sure that they continue to be involved in the life of the church. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah, we talked about that a good bit on our little staff retreat. The, like, what it means to be in relationship with the people that we serve and not just serve them and walk away. You know, what does it mean to have a relationship so that you have a better understanding of this human being? So I think that that speaks to that well. Um, and that kind of goes back to the first words and last words thing. It's that it's that arc that's important. Yeah. And I think there's two sides to what James was saying earlier. I do think sometimes we are more polite to total strangers than we are to the people that we love and yeah. live with on a daily basis. Yeah. The flip side of that is sometimes anonymity gives us the opportunity to act out our worst selves definitely mm, yeah. which I, I see in traffic all the time i i'm a different cool. person when yeah. i get behind the wheel yeah mm-hmm. if i suddenly realize that person who cut me off as a church member it transforms my attitude yeah, yeah. but if there's some yeah. oh right <laughs> then you know <laughs> right? I, I tend to come unglued yeah i oftentimes forget there are even people in those other cars right you know they just become objects that are in my way and doing terrible things mm. well if they're going slower they're idiots if they're going faster they're dangerous dangerous yeah, right. it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's no medium ground i've learned the phrase bill i don't know if this will help you or not but i've learned the phrase when when someone cuts me off it, which happens a lot here in atlanta my, my phrase is welcome to the community of the left lane <laughs> just i love that sense of peace about it i love it uh, well, guys, thank you so much for being here, Bill. I want we're speaking about first words today. I want to give you the last word as we wrap up today. Do you have a final word for the people who uh, listen to Dialogic Disciple Podcast, the people of Northside, or from the good just... Reverend Doctor Bill Birch? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I would hark back to two of the phrases we talked about a few moments ago. One is, "What do you want?" Mm-hmm. And I would couple that with, "Where are you headed?" Ooh, yeah. And I think those are deep questions we don't often ask as human beings because we're busy with our day-to-day life yeah yeah but that's what we deal with at church what do you want what are the deep needs of your life that can be satisfied by this world and where are you headed the trajectory of life the cool thing about that is you can change the trajectory Mm -hmm. of your life with the next decision yeah yeah it doesn't undo everything that's come before you right but we serve a god of fresh starts and new beginnings Amen. Amen. Last words. Amen. That's a great last word. Well, Bill, thank you again for being here with us. Elizabeth, thank you as always. And Northside, thank you for listening to this podcast, and we'll catch you next week.